0: guest today is the Rev. Dr. Teresa L. Frye-Brown, who is the Bandy Professor of Preaching at the Candler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. This chaired professorship is considered by many to be the country's premier chair in homiletics. Dr. Frye-Brown has taught at Candler since 1994. She also served as the director of Candler's Black Church Study Program until 2015. Dr. Fry Brown's research interests include homiletics, womanism, womanist ethics, sociocultural transformation, and African diaspora history, focusing on African American spiritual values. Dr. Fry Brown has an extensive teaching and preaching experience in national, international, academic, and ecumenical settings. She is a prolific author, uh, having written books that include Delivering the Sermon, Voice, Body, and Animation and Proclamation, and Weary Throats and New Song, Black Women Proclaiming God's Word. Dr. Fry Brown is a member of the American Academy of Religion Society for the Study of Black Religion and the Academy of Homiletics. She is also an ordained elder itinerant elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Church and an associate minister at New Bethel uh, AME Church in Lithonia, Georgia. She is a proud member of the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, Incorporated and is uh, the mother of a daughter, Veronica Nadine Tinsley. Please welcome to the show today, Dr. Teresa Fry brown
1: Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Raven Anderson. It's good to be here.
0: I wanted to really start our conversation by asking you, uh, what, what are the dimensions of preaching that you feel are impacted by these particular factors, when we think about delivering the sermon and what goes on in in preaching, how do these things come into play uh, at that moment?
1: I've been doing this thing called preaching for about 40 years. And when I started out, I was told that I didn't sound like a preacher. I was a singer, so I had a melody in my voice, which becomes critically important, right, in different cultures. Uh, There were models of preachers where even women would emulate a masculinized sound, mm-hmm. want to live into who they were. As a former speech-language pathologist, I found it important to tell people that the structure is, is individual, and we can do damage to our own structure, even though we have that lie about the Adam's apple that is just, <laughs> it's cartilage, Right. right. Um, that we can do damage to the voice God has given us. Now I'm talking about the physical voice by trying to emulate someone else's voice. And and the other piece is I kept hearing, uh, if I can preach like Paul, well, Paul Paul wrote letters. Uh, We don't have have recording of God's voice. We don't have recording of Jesus' voice. We don't have recording of Paul's voice. And so we built these kinds of fantasized uh, idols. Of a preacher's voice.
0: Right. What
1: one finds based on gender and sexuality and a whole lot of other things is they there's this understanding that a preacher has to have a deep, melodious, bass, baritone, booming voice, and that all preaching is loud. Uh and, and so we forget that even that piece about uh in Kings about I I look for God in the fire and the flood. Yes. <laughs> And God was in the still small voice. And, and so sometimes if we even think about our conversation with each other, sometimes we are more persuasive and more convincing with a softer voice, mm-hmm. than blaring and trying to blast everyone out of a room. And so what I have written and what I've done over the years is trying to help people, men and women, because I teach men and women, is to... Uh, Try to identify who you are, what your mm-hmm. voice is, and that I believe that God calls us with a variety of voices. That's that, if we're going to get back to the intersection, a variety of voices, and God is packaged in different ways. And if my amagadeo is, uh, is that I believe I'm made in the image of God, then God is now a 70-year-old Black woman with gray hair that has uh, an alto voice but sings for a soprano.
0: I love that. I love that. Um, because I think I personally i I speak uh, I sing lower. I sing in a much lower register than I speak. I sing in like a tenor or contralto and and but my speaking voice tends to be higher. But I know that I have often wondered um, when preaching, do I need to drop the register so that, my voice can have more weight and if it has more weight, will it be taken more seriously? And that kind of thing. So it's very interesting when you talk about finding your voice and your authentic voice and speaking with that. And I know particularly with women, when you don't have many models before you who are women learning how to do that. So what are some of the the things that you tell your female students um, about Finding their preaching voice.
1: Uh, One of the first things to do is to record one's voice. Uh, Even though the voice is going to sound higher than it actually is. uh, Because of the muffling that goes on with our physical structures. Uh, To find your voice. To to think about whose voice you listen to most often. Mm. Uh, What do you determine is a convincing voice? Uh, Who is your your spiritual parent and how do they sound and why do you think you need to sound like them? Okay. We talk through how many times when you're in conversation or in a pulpit, it takes about three minutes for people to acclimate themselves to attend to a different voice. Okay. And if you have the substance, they will pay attention. If you're performing, then they will start comparing you to other people. And so when you are in other other professions, do you change your voice in a business meeting?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you your voice when you're talking to your loved one, why do you think that in a in, in a, a face setting that one has to do that? I've watched women who may have a voice like this, now get in the pulpit, they go, ah, and I go, what in the world is that? <laughs> we work on authenticity mm-hmm. of voice. Mm-hmm. And the faith stance that God called you with your voice. And yes, I've worked as a, speech, as a former speech language pathologist. I've worked with people whose voice may be high even in speaking and their ways to lower that. But that is just for comfort or, or someone that has a harsh voice or a, a grating voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this whole idea, particularly when it comes to uh, African-American women preaching, That one must scream and yell and, as someone told me, one holler, in order to be thought to be effective. Right. Then we also have to talk about the difference between affect and effect. And sometimes this emotionalism that we bring on causes our voices to do things that shouldn't do, but it also shortens the amount of time that you are able, in fact, to preach because you are damaging your voice trying to sound like everyone else. If physically, your structure, your voice is dependent not on that little dime-sized things, your vocal folds, but your physical structures, how much weight you carry, how you breathe, how tall you are, um, how how long the sentences are that you use when you preach. Are there particular words and languages that you use? All that comes in. So it's not just the sound, but I think that too often what we have done is we've made preaching sound and fury signifying nothing. And so as long as you have the sound, then you're a preacher, but you don't have to be saying anything at all.
0: My, my, my.
1: I think I talk about what is, who is your authentic self.
0: Mm.
1: So when I talk about finding your voice, it is just yes, your physical voice, but it is also your personality voice. It is also the spirit voice. Mm-hmm. It is, it's, it, to me, affecting a voice in the pulpit is like people that pretend to speak in tongues. And they practice speaking in tongues as if the spirit had nothing to do with it. (laughs) So there are times, as I said, I'm a lyric soprano that I know emotion may make my voice break down. And sometimes Mm. the register goes up, but it's being fully embodying who you are because why would God call a clone?
0: Right. Right.
1: Individually. So I talked with women about listening to your voice and, and they'll say, well, I don't like my voice. It's too high. And I say, okay, what do you want it to sound like? So they'll bring in that video of somebody. But what they want is that person's characteristics, not mm-hmm. necessarily voice. Mm-hmm. They want the mm-hmm. response from the listeners and not necessarily that voice. Or they start affecting things like, you know, the way they do their hair or the way they dress or the way they stand or how they kick their legs or when they spin around. So then it becomes playtime and not being authentic. So some, there are preachers are, <laughs> yes, running around, but there are also preachers that are affected standing still. Mm-hmm. So then we also have to get into our own embodiment. Yes. And our biorhythms as to how we, because if not, you look like a child in a pulpit playing like you're someone else
0: mm-hmm. my, my, my. It
1: finishes the message because people know who you were before you came into the pulpit. And yes. when you come in, all of a sudden you're like, ah, and then people go, well, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to perform. Right. And yet it has a performance aspect to it, but this playing dress up and trying to be like someone else is inane.
0: It well, is- and Okay. That kind of leads to um, uh, another thought that I had, because in the book you talk about preaching presence, preaching presence. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. What, what does that mean, having your your preaching presence?
1: Your preaching presence is, is akin to your persona. Um, it is, there, there are some people that are very lighthearted and they'll get in the pulpit and all of a sudden it's like, they pull in and it's like very somber and uh, they will get up and affect this powerful presence. And people know that's not you. Mm-hmm. And so one's presence and one's engagement with listeners is affected when you're one person when you walk in another person when you stand up. So one's preaching present. Yes, I take preaching very seriously. Yes, there, there, there are subject matters that cause us to change our facial expression. The facial expression must match the 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 content mm-hmm. of the sermon. Uh, but one if one's going to talk about the joy of the Lord is my strength and saying the joy of the Lord is my strength, who follows that? Right. The one the content, the language, the situation, the persons with whom we with whom we are preaching because we don't preach at people. All of that, we preach with people. The give and take, the communicative chain that we establish, all of that becomes the preaching presence. If one is angry when one enters a pulpit or one has a message that is full of venom, that's the presence that's going to be exuded.
0: You also talk about in the book, uh, exegeting yourself, exegeting the text, as well as exegeting the context. When you talk about exegeting oneself, um, expound on that a little bit.
1: Um, The the word exegete means something that comes out of. So when we read a biblical text, we look at what is there and it comes out at us instead of forcing things in it. When I talk about exegeting oneself is is today, do I want to preach? What is the subject I'm going to preach? Do I like people? Am I doing for the check? Uh, uh, I preached last week. Have I filtered it? Am Am I able to live what I'm about to say? And I'm, am I going to say something that when I'm finished, I can accept questions, not perfunctory. That was great. But questions and challenges. Do I like preaching at all? And, or am I questioning God right now? That's the exegetical mm-hmm. piece. And every time we enter into looking at a text, we must exegete ourselves, not just in the preaching moment. But if I'm upset about something and I'm looking at a text, all of me is going to be reflected into that text.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: when, when I'm struggling with, because I, I'm a social justice advocate, activist, and some people say social justice freak, because I'm always talking about the the... Biblical imperatives to love each other, right? And if I'm angry about something, if I just watched something on the news, when I look at a text that say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, I have to understand it includes me. But if I've just watched someone do something to someone, I may at that time just say, that means you. You're si-. So I'm, I'm, I'm bringing myself to, we always bring ourselves to the text. The sermons are very personal. And so, who is Teresa today? Does she love God today? Does she hate her neighbor today? Does is she is is she tired today? So that the sermon doesn't become an apologetic, you know, or or am I fearful of preaching a text? So then you set up and say, "I know you don't want to hear this, but this is what." Well, that's a, you don't need that. If God called you, you don't have to apologize for it. You okay. do what your job is, but know where you are. And sometimes preachers are so. Grief stricken and so overburdened that they beca- they, they get a spiritual uh, dysphonia where they where they the, the words won't come or they that may be the time when someone else needs to preach. Oh, because wow. We have not done the work, our soul work. And I believe that preachers have to do soul work in order to be able to preach. Uh, when I talk about social justice, I say to my students that we have to love the people enough to want all of them to live.
0: All of them.
1: All of them to live. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the persons that have been abused and the abuser. Yeah. That's soul work. And so that, it's that, that's a exegetical piece. Uh, I may have read a text last week and I had different life circumstances. I may have read a text or I'm preaching the sermon, the first service and something happens in between services. So now I have to say, how am I going to now approach this with what I know? Yeah. I can't tell the congregation yet. Right. I'm waiting for the family to be notified. Mm-hmm. How, how, how is my heart and my head and my, and my faith is exegeting oneself?
0: wow okay so and it so that requires uh a great deal of self-awareness and it also sounds to me like it requires a real lived spirituality uh a, a listening and leading uh and allowing oneself to be examined by the spirit
1: yes um i I understand the having served in many different capacities in the church life. Uh, I understand that sometimes we're rushing and it's a checkoff. I do this sermon. So I just have to do it and get it out of the way. Uh, I didn't have time for prayer before. I oh did not have time for prayer before I preached, not the little perfunctory Lord, hide me behind the cross. So then I won't No, I don't mean that. I mean, do I have a continual devotion, even if it's one second, it doesn't have to be 15 hours, but do I have a time period before I am now being used as this vessel that I connect with God without any outside interference? Right? Uh, Like you do that before you even write the sermon. Mm -hmm. So have a continual connection to the source who is now asking you to be the conduit for some life-saving word. Mm-hmm. A challenging word some word of love and and maybe you have to do it on the fly because preachers have so many things bombarding them all the time including their own personal lives that some of the burnout uh that has happened or happens with preachers some of the venom that comes from preachers is because we have not paused for our own soul spiritual refreshing and i and 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 sometimes we hyperspiritualize this, that we say, you have to bow 15 times this way and that way, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what is your continual connection to your source? How do you evaluate my call to preach? How do I continually talk to God or spirit or however you language this that says, God, do you really mean for me to do this? Because I haven't. After 40 years, I still say, God, do you mean for me to do this? And with that, we also then are able to preach God's agenda and not our pet peeves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Those are completely different things. Uh, uh, getting back at someone in a sermon uh, means that you're, you're walking in, in mud. Uh, for a better kind of analogy right now, to to use a sermon to beat up on a congregation, to use a sermon to defame someone, to use a sermon to make ourselves be bigger and better than we are, trashes what God has called us to do. Mm -hmm. A sermonic moment is challenging, but it also is life-giving and hope-filled. And too many sermons become personality quests that's about turn on the spotlight because the greatest preacher in the world just showed up. has nothing to do with the biblical text. Or it's a contract that's void when we begin because we tell them, well, we give them the text. This is my contract. But well, we talk about everything else other than the text. Mm-hmm. So we are doing malpractice, spiritual malpractice. We're we, malpractice. Spiritual malpractice is what, what I'm I would think we we traffic it sometimes. So yes, sometimes we're too busy and sometimes we have all these other things that claim our attention, but there's a sacredness Mm. about being able to be called on by God to say something, not as God, but as a conduit for God to go to.
0: I love that spiritual malpractice, spiritual malpractice. Well, and that kind of leads me into, I wanted to, Uh, kind of switch gears a little bit. You mentioned that you are truly a social justice uh, warrior, advocate. Um, It is part of your preaching um, ethos, I guess you would uh, characterize it that way. And I I wanted to talk about that a little bit because uh, here we've been talking about this idea of of egalitarian thought, of womanist and liberation theologies, and how, um, in my mind, they really provide a platform for what we hear so much about today in prophetic preaching prophetic preaching. So I, I want to talk a little bit about what is prophetic preaching. And one uh, of the things that you mentioned as you were talking has to do with taking care of your soul in the process of doing that type of preaching. Uh, I, I noticed when you're doing social justice work and advocating, it is you have to be intentional about taking care of yourself because you can end up very angry <laughs> a lot at the things that, the, that you see that are going on in the world and become frustrated at the rate or pace of change sometimes. So first of all, I want to talk about how uh, how does prophetic preaching fit into these uh, hermeneutics that we bring uh, or lenses that we bring in reading the text um, as a woman, as as a as a African American, uh, as an African American woman, uh, what what are the particulars that we bring, and how does uh, prophetic preaching become a tool for us in this?
1: I think it's through a lot. So when I teach prophetic preaching, I think there's a misconception that prophetic means angry and loud. It does not. Prophetic preaching for, for me and what I teach the students is, is it, is a well investigated, uh, taking into account many different sides. And how does the biblical text speak to us about how we live in the presence of each other? It is the, the, uh, Matthew, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, but it says neighbor and self. Self, let me start there. If we are not caring for ourselves, one, I, I, I know a lot of people that claim they're prophetic preachers, and I always say you do understand all the prophets in the Bible get killed. Right, Every one of them died, right? Uh, that sometimes we think that we are the only one that has an idea about how life should be lived. That we forget the interlocking isms, that because I'm a Black woman, yes, I'm interested in sexism and racism, but I also have to be interested in food insecurity. I have to be interested in just war theory. I have to be interested in anything that is about a a disequal kind of, power dynamic. Uh, it's before we understood uh, Gutenberg Press made the biblical text present. Uh, we understand that not all the stories are in the biblical text, and we understand things like gentrification that we, you, we have a language for now. In the Old Testament, somebody lived in the land, the promised land, before the Hebrew kids got there, right? Gentrification. So we have these words that we think that we created prophetic preaching. There's always been a call to, this is what God wants. This is what we're doing. This is how we get there. That's prophetic preaching. It's not created in the 21st century. It's not something that a big group now owns that I think that even talking about love is prophetic because when we talk about aspects of love, it moves the power dynamic of someone being over someone else and levels the plane. Right. So. Whether one is a a Black woman who's talking about just war, why are we going to war? It's all in the biblical text. Whether it is an Asian woman who's talking about, through Han, talking about suffering and how women are not named, like the 170 women that are in the Bible, and there's so many more, right? It depends on who has the pen. Right talking about justice and who has some kind of gravitas, right? And so for me, when I talk about uh prophetic preaching, it is to foretell and foretell, but there's some people that think if they're they're doing prophetic preaching by always demeaning someone else. And, and so it is, yes, deconstructing what's wrong, but it's also putting something or reconstructing and putting something in a place. And too much preaching is tearing down, but it never gives an alternative. No. It never gives something else. And so regardless of the voice, that to me is prophetic preaching. It is, uh, yes, God gives, as Gardner Taylor used to say, God gives some of us visions that other people do not have. But we don't know everyone's vision. And so because I have a microphone, that doesn't make me any prof- more prophetic than someone without a microphone. I just happen to be standing somewhere that I can say, this is what we are doing. Mm-hmm. God is not pleased. This is what we're supposed to be doing. It's in the text. And this is how we get there. That's prophetic preaching.
0: Okay. I love that. I love that because it really does, uh, uh, it it does raise the notion um, it, it, it seems like something that has been uh, a, a phrase that has been, like you said, attached particularly to African-American preaching. Whereas prophetic preaching, when you begin to look at this is I'm holding up the mirror to who we are and versus who God is calling us to be, that crosses all races, uh, all, all races. all. Uh, uh, segments of our culture and population.
1: And, it, and, it's, and it's not a one-size-fits-all, one-time sermon, mm. what people think sometimes. Uh, in, in, in my background in religion and social transformation, we understand that you don't legislate change, that individuals have to be changed in order for society to be changed. So the grounding of prophetic preaching is: what are we doing about our individual piety, our individual lives? And now, how do I connect with someone else who also sees that change and connect and connect and connect?
0: Mm-hmm. Because what
1: we try to do often in prophetic preaching is we're going to do one sermon. It's going to we're going to talk about race. Well, there's so many aspects of race.
0: Mm-hmm. And what
1: ends up happening is someone will say we're only going to talk about race. Well, then you're still sitting on top of women.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Instead of saying today. Uh, Dr. Angela is going to talk about sexism, and Dr. Teresa is going to talk about ageism. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we're not interested in race. It means that we know there's so many aspects to be dealt with in a prophetic kind of vein that we need to respect whoever is talking about what. And what happens is if everybody's talking about one thing, we ignore everything else, so there's no progress. Instead of understanding that this is a collective kind of thing. Right. Nor one be, it, when we're talking about self-care, what I advise people to do is preaching a hard, driving, everybody's going to hell sermon every week means people stop listening. Preaching one form every week means people stop listening and people stop coming to church. Because if I'm going through hell during a week, I do not want to come every Sunday and hear you talk about hell again. So every now and then you got to stop and say, let's just thank God we're alive. Okay. And it, and it gives you time to go. It also gives you time to let somebody else step on the front line. So you can, you can have a sabbatical regeneration and then the next person comes on. That there are times when we need to step off the front line to regenerate, to, to, to take care of our wounds to take care of our disappointment because things aren't moving as quickly as we thought they were, to talk with someone else who may be doing different work but can give us ways in which to preach that we approach this subject differently because we we have a tendency to fall into one pattern and people start listening to the one pattern and then they know when to check out, right? And so then we're blaring by this time, because we're frustrated, instead of and and also a prophetic sermon, prophetic preaching must be surrounded by discussion. It must be surrounded by study of the biblical text, so that we know it's not just human beings that are saying or the preacher saying, "Do this, do this, do this." That everything we preach is in the biblical text, but it may have a different name. Mm-hmm. And so I think that uh, and people will also follow you. What you have said live—if they see you living it, it does no good for me to talk about. Let's help the poor, and they never see me working with the poor. Right? Does no good about me talking about gender equality if I'm fighting to keep other women out of a special place Mm -hmm. or a certain or I'm not helping, if I'm not mentoring women, if I'm not calling women's names, if I'm not saying, okay, I have 15 engagements, I can't do this one, let me have somebody else come and do it for you. So if I'm not encouraging women, then all the work that if I'm not encouraging, calling names, making space for, as well as men that I know have been supportive of women, so if I'm only damning men for women's positionality in churches, and I forget there are men that have also lost and sacrificed something for me to be present, then I'm not doing any kind of justice. I'm not doing any kind of prophetic work. I'm doing, as I say, selective justice, which I think is a crime before God. But there are many people that do selective justice,
0: right.
1: I am mine and nobody else. Mm -hmm. So if I get in the door, I don't have to bring anybody else in. And I think that that becomes really, really important in justice work. But I think since we're talking about women, there have been instances of of which I'm aware of women that get in a position and don't want nobody else there because they don't want competition. Or they join the good old boys club because they got a special key. And they forget that somebody died and or sacrificed or was abused before they got to be in the club.
0: Right, right.
1: And so I think that, and, and at the same time, there are women who preach, who pastor, who lead, who try to help the next group of women. And those women don't want to be bothered because they think they have found the key and the way in. And so they, they begin to, to posit themselves as the first and the only, and they forget that there may be 50 years of someone that came before them that did, that, that, that nobody knows the names, but there was a woman someplace preached in the back room so that you can now sit in a pulpit.
0: Right,
1: right. I think that's prophetic work. And I think that, uh, Hmm. I hear these when I preview these conversations or I know someone has written something. I know someone has said something. I hear someone else take it and use it as if they did it and nobody calls them on it. Then I think that we are doing selective justice then. And it's very selfish justice also. So you didn't ask. It came out.
0: (laughs) Oh no, that's good. That's good. Because, you know, one of the things we always have to be mindful of um, is not taking on the 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 methods and methodologies of the oppressor, right? As you're moving into that space of privilege or what what whatever uh, empowerment that you may experience, but not taking it all. It always reminds me of the book Animal Farm, with that you know once the pigs come in and now. They're mistreating all the other animals. And <laughs> so.
1: And wait, and, we, and, and, and the, the, there, there's this deceptive power lure when one is preaching that sometimes causes some amnesia in people. Mm. That they why they're there, That that they forget that they're modeling things for people that they forget that somebody has institutional memory and often what happens or what have, can happen is if one is more interested in their brand and their selfie, than they are the word of God, then they are not preaching. They are pimping. They are promoting themselves. And so our call is to preach. Uh, Yes, there's a performative aspect. Yes, there's a prophetic aspect of it. And some people get so involved in their individual brand and presence that they forget the purpose of preaching. Yeah. And, wow. and, and women do this, by the way. And, 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 and so it grieves my heart when I think of how many women sacrificed, how many women were beaten and raped and demeaned and kept out of things for someone else to come in as if their lives did not matter. And then stand up and talk about what we have to do as women. And, and so that, it grieves me that names are forgotten. So that's one of the reasons I ask people to write. That I ask women to write. That I ask women to tell their stories. Because too many have been forgotten. Yes. short memories. Uh, that and their lives are dismissed at the table of I've got a seat and I don't care who came before me or who comes after me.
0: Mm-hmm. I, uh, that's that's very good because I know oftentimes and again looking for those voices of women, you're right they 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 get pushed aside and and we don't we don't recall them and um and and as women. Sometimes we have to search for them. They, they're not lauded. Uh, and, and this is not to, 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 to detract from the incredible voices, uh, male voices that have graced the pulpit. But oftentimes when you're hearing the names and the list of those voices, you don't you don't often hear women who have had um, incredible, influence and impact through their proclamation. And uh, so I know for me, I had to search out and seek to find um, those women of the past and to understand what they, uh, what they stood for in their ministry, and uh, the, the path that they chose to walk, right? And, and what that entailed for them, uh, pioneering in some instances, particularly in the United States, uh, to, to, to be in these places that were not welcoming to women always.
1: So, so I think in, uh, that women have preached using different forms of sermon. Uh, they're sometimes called diaries and spiritual narratives. Uh, women have been prayer warriors. As my mother used to say, I would sneak a preach whenever I would lead a song because I would say something. then that became an evangelist, right? I was following in the path of singing evangelists like Amanda Berry Smith and people of that nature. There, there are women who have written. Uh, if you read Toni Morrison, every book has a sermon in it. Mm. There are women that have written and their sermons would not be affirmed in a quote unquote church setting, but they find other ways to do it. Some of the poetry that women have written. Those are sermonic if you look at the elements that are there. And so we may not have had the same avenues. And even now, when people ask me, yes, I know the people that have access. I know the people that have big platforms. I know all those kinds of things. I preach in a lot of different places. People ask me, who's the greatest preacher? And I say the one that hits it day after day. And nobody ever knows their name, mm-hmm. the men and women. These are people that may be couched as street preachers. Uh, I, I think that sometimes we look at preachers are the people that show up on Sunday morning in a pulpit. I think that it's the woman in the in the grocery store that stops and talks to someone. Her life becomes the sermon. Uh, I, I think it's the, the the teacher who does something without even naming God or Jesus, but in an Esther kind of way, intercedes on behalf of someone else.
0: Because, Come
1: on. right? And and so I look at those the nurse who holds a hand. Is ministering and may have to sneak and say a biblical text to someone. That's that's a sermonic moment, and so uh, there there there's there've been histories written. One of the reasons I did Weary Throats is because I wanted to have women in their own words talk about who they were, how they who who their their mentors were. There have there have been uh, since the mid 1700s women preaching. Uh, they, their names are listed in different ways and sometimes not at all. And I think that I, I bemoan the fact that in 2021, there, I could go through a list of women whose work I had to go through for some of the work that I've done over the years, the people that still don't know them. Or we think there are five women preachers in the United, Black women preachers in the United States, because those are the five we see everywhere. And we forget that there are In in my denomination alone, there are thousands. Okay, Uh, that women are there and they're doing this work and they're using their own voices and they're and they're ministering day in and day out and and only their congregations may know their names. And so the other thing I think that hinders when we talk about women preachers is we have this model that one has to have x number of members, have x number of media hits, has to be on a circuit to be validated as a preacher. That's a negligible amount. Uh, It's it's kind of like, I understand it, but it bothers me when uh, there's a conference and there are no women, but then we become, let's bring in the black person that can sing and dance for us. Let's bring in just so we can keep people off our backs. Instead of genuinely thinking through When God calls one, I didn't have a committee that was present when God called me to preach. I didn't have a flyer when God called me to preach. I lost a a whole relationship when God called me to preach, and I'm still doing it 40 years later, not for any fame or fortune, but because God called me. And so then it becomes, who am I and what has God told me to say? Or do I pander to some other kind of convention that says, in order to to be in the circuit, in order to be thought highly of, you have to now put yourself aside and do all these other things. Well, then we have then we have demeaned what God called us to do. So I say to people sometimes, maybe God called you to five people. Mm-hmm. Your job is to go preach the hell out of whatever you're doing for those five people. Mm. But we have in this country this idea that one has to be... Uh, Uh, a celebrity preacher in order to have, to look like you have a good word. Mm -hmm. You have to have a certain number of people say amen in order to be, but maybe what we need to do is investigate what preaching is. And that way we will know who preachers are instead of a preconceived notion that unless you have these five characteristics, you do not preach. One of the big ones being genitalia. And so because I don't have a penis, then I must not be a preacher. That is absolutely ludicrous. God knew who I was when God called me. Right. So do you now say that God made a mistake or that I was lying? I, 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 was, I was married to someone who was in ministry when I received my call. And there were people that said, oh, you're, you're operating under his call. Well, he left ministry. I'm still here. So who was operating under whose call? Right. Right. And so, and so, <laughs> wow! I also talk with women about what, who was present when God told you to do this?
0: Yes, yeah.
1: About it too. Who told you? Uh, I think it's in the book. Who told you you were naked? hmm And so, who told you you couldn't do it because you are a woman? Mm-hmm. Who told you your voice didn't sound right. Who told you that you had to do these things? Who told you you couldn't dress like a woman to preach? Who said there's a book that says God's going to hate you unless you wear black, no makeup, no fingernail polish, no heels, and you grunt and grab your crotch that it does not have what you're looking for. And that's the only way you can be a preacher. Who said that? I want to know who. And, and 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 when I go into my closet to pray, those people are not there. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah
1: the critics are not there god is my critic
0: yes
1: the utterance that's what we say
0: yeah yeah
1: this whole human factory that produces preachers that says you can and you cannot take over what we should know in our own spirit
0: wow that's rich that's great that is so good yes ma'am Well, I, I, uh, I thank you for your time. I want to close with just this one final question to you. And it really has to do with, um, uh, for me, a text that has been leading me for several years now. And that is when God speaks through the prophet Isaiah and he says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Can you not perceive it? So, I want to ask you, what do you believe is the new thing that God is doing through women in this particular time? And particularly women of color.
1: I'm not sure that I understand the text. For me, in terms of preaching, God is doing what God has always done. God speaks into the head and heart of God's vessel and says, now I need you to be present and speak. We're, yes, there are more women now, and it looks like there's a big wave of women doing things. The difference is media shows us there's a way. Technology lets us connect, and we see we're numbers of people. There have always been numbers of women doing things that nobody else, uh, there have always been numbers of people, numbers of women uh, in fields and, and, and homes and hearths and in childbirth and all these other places, the midwives are doing this whole preaching while they're letting the babies live. We still have 21st century midwives doing this kind of talking people through things and walking through. I think the difference is we see the images more now than we did 50 years ago. Uh, I think that God in this new thing that you're talking about, the new thing I see is an opening of other people's minds that they are recognizing that God calls women. There is an opening without having to be pushed into some social uh, uh, moment that says, oh yes, yeah, so a women can do that. I think that there are more voices that now reckon that are saying women have always, black women have always and and not this Uh, I think it's going to be damaging to keep saying that the the soul of America will be saved in Black women. It always has Mm -hmm. uh, since before 1619, uh, that Black women have borne that heat. I think that the new thing is there's more light cast on people who have been operating in darkness and media has helped that. And um, that's why there's so much pushback now when i thought things were opening up there's a pushback now against women preachers there's a pushback against black women preaching and this whole they're trying to take take power from black men is old mm-hmm. it's a good way to separate and to mute but because of media and women doing their own podcasts and women doing their own posting their own sermons that's the new thing that now you have a vehicle that gets your your face and your word and your presence. If they don't invite you, you can go on and post your own sermon. That's right. the, that's the right. yeah. so It's not like we just started. Not like we
0: well, just started. And, and, you know, for me, it's this idea of bringing about transformation, really focusing on bringing real transformation in the lives of people that's needed. So how, how, using our voice our stories helps aid in that you know so
1: and and i think it's important for us to be able to talk about as we preach what are we trying to transform and who is being transformed mm-hmm. and part of what happens the more women are able to preach the more they themselves are transformed mm-hmm. because as Praythea Hall said once, "If one has a sermon and one is not able to to speak it, one is perpetually pregnant." Mm. Perhaps the new, the newness that you're searching for is there are more preaching births happening because media has given us more access. Women who have always done church homes are now able to broadcast from their homes. Maybe that's the newness, and maybe just maybe in another—I'm thinking my students now—maybe just maybe in the next ten years, we will have—we don't have to have discussions about women preachers, but preacher preachers.
0: About that, that'd be awesome, Doctor. Teresa Fire brown thank you so much for joining us today. And to all of you, thank you again for uh, joining us as listeners to this new episode of Mutuality Matters. And stay tuned for uh, upcoming um, weekly episodes from the rest of our incredible team of co-hosts. In the meantime, you can go to the show notes and learn how you can follow and support the new members of our podcast family. Be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. You should also go to our website at www.cbeinternational.org for even more content. Subscribe to our blog, magazine, and academic journal. Watch videos and listen to audio of past conferences and events. And you can go visit our bookstore where you'll find a ton of talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. I am Rev. Dr. Angela Raven-Anderson. And again, thank you for joining us. I would like to give a shout out to Landon and say thank you, who is our support tech, and to the entire CBE International team that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thank you for listening.
1: Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.